Ronananian. You notice how cars are starting to look alike? And it just kind of makes me sad that cars don't have that distinctiveness that they once did. I'm your vehicle, baby. The Car Doctor. What is it that you like about being a mechanic? Well, I I love learning new stuff about the car, and I've built a four-wheel drive, and it's interesting how things work. Welcome to the radio home of Ron and Anian, The Car Doctor. Since 1991, this is where car owners the world over turn to for their definitive opinion on automotive repair. If your mechanic's giving you a busy signal, pick up the phone and call in. The garage doors are open. But I am here to take your calls at 855-560-9900. And now, here's Ronnie. Hey, welcome. Ron and Amy and the Car Doctor. Come on in, sit down. Thanks for joining me this hour each and every week. I appreciate you taking the time. The phone number, as always, is 855-560-9900. That's the Car Doctor 24-7 phone number. Give us a call. Leave a message if we're not on the air. And we will call you back. Fast Terry, our executive producer, will call you back and get you in the lineup for the following week so we can talk to you up here on a live broadcast. This show is broadcast live every Saturday, 2 to 4 p.m. Eastern time out on the network and across the affiliates. So uh, just be aware that we like to do it here, here on radio. We'll be gentle, I promise. But we like to share your story because the idea isn't just to answer your question. It's to answer a lot of questions, and if we explain it on radio, more people can hear it, obviously, and we are educating the masses on just what's going on with that thing out in the driveway we call an automobile. Cardoctorshow.com is the website if you're looking for more information about this radio show and everything else uh, about about us and who we are. Uh, TuneIn.com, iHeart, and iTunes all have podcasts of this radio show, as well as the, the aforementioned Cardoctorshow.com. We're making it easy for you to take us wherever you want and however you want. We're also, we've also signed up for Google Patch, I believe it is, or Google Play. Uh, the soon-to-be-released-from-Google podcast system that they've got coming out. I think it's Google Patch is what they're going to call it. So uh, that'll be out, I guess, sometime towards the end of the year. If it's not out already, I'm not really sure, but uh, I know that we're signed up there as well. So we're just making podcasting easy for you because we know that you want more information about your automobile. Down around the bottom, actually maybe a little bit past the bottom of the hour, we'll talk about another Car Doctor t-shirt giveaway. We've got a great question lined up uh, for ourselves uh, this week and for you. So if you want a Car Doctor t-shirt, get out to the Car Doctor Facebook page, like the page, ask a question, and if we use it on air, then we will give you a t-shirt. We're glad to send one out to you. We're trying to make you more aware of what the Facebook page is all about, and uh, we're trying to up our like count. You know what? More likes, more better position, uh, more better, a better position. Uh, English is very important. A better position, uh, you know, on the Facebook uh, uh, civilization out there is, uh, is is important to us. It really is. Had a 2002 Toyota Tacoma, and I have to tell you, this 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 marks sort of a milestone in Car Doctor history. We've been doing this radio show 25 years. Today's the first time I'm going to give you the repair of the week. I'm going to give it to you audibly here on air, and you can get out to the aforementioned Facebook page and also look at it because there's a video up there that we just put up oh at the top of the hour because we didn't want it up there sooner that demonstrates how I repaired this car. We're going to start to do more of that for you so that you can actually see what it is I'm saying 
and what I'm talking about and how to repair and diagnose your car. Um, sort of a, a, a quick two minutes in the classroom with the car doctor. 2002 Toyota Tacoma came into the shop with a repetitive P0136 downstream oxygen sensor low activity question. And, you know, it's kind of the definition of insanity. The previous repair shop had done either two or three oxygen sensors. I'm not really sure. I listened to the whole tale. And as it recounted back, it started with a P0420 fault, a catalytic converter problem, and then it transgressed into a P0136, and then it went into a P1130 air fuel sensor codes. It was like one thing led to the next, led to the next, led to the next. What's my job? My job is to get to the middle of the problem so I can get to the end of the problem as fast as I can. P0136 is at the heart of the matter here. So I went after that. That was the hard failure that I had. Now, interesting to note, there is a technical service bulletin from Toyota that talks about P0136, that if it happens on a repetitive basis, they want you to replace the vehicle PCM. So over my shoulder and and leaning hard is I've got this bulletin that describes the exact scenario I've got, and yet I choose not to go there. And the reason I didn't want to go there is because, quite frankly, O2 sensors are pretty simple to test. And you can prove activity, no activity, just what's going on with with a couple of simple and basic tests. And that's what's in that video out on Facebook, as well as if you get out to YouTube and look up the Ron and and the Car Doctor channel, there's a YouTube video there as well. O2 sensors react really well to propane. Feed the vehicle a little propane, watch the sensor on a scan tool. And you'll see it go crazy if it's working. Unfortunately, in this case, the scan tool showed zero. There was no response from the O2. So, gee, I don't know. Do I have a bad O2? Could I have a problem with a computer? Do I have something else going on? Always test a component like it's standing alone by itself. Because if you test a component like it's part of the car that it's attached to, which might be broken, then you're testing one broken component with another. So what's the point? I disconnected the oxygen sensor. Got a wiring diagram out, broke out which was sensor signal to the PCM, to the powertrain control module, and which was the ground. They run a separate ground on this, or an earth ground, because this is a four-wire sensor, and that's how they do it. It doesn't ground through the pipe. Had a ground going back to the negative battery cable. Tapped the positive lead of the voltmeter into the signal side. Ground, you know, obviously grounded the other side of the voltmeter like I had to, and fed it a little propane. If that sensor was capable of working, it should have budged. It should have gone up. It was reading negative. It went a little bit over a tenth of a volt, and that was about it. But it didn't do what it was supposed to do. And that was looking at it on a voltmeter, not the scan tool, because I can't trust the scan tool at this point because the scan tool is tied to the PCM, and if the PCM is bad, as the bulletin says, I've got to break the component down into the most basic level that I can. Got underneath the car, started looking around, because one of the things you're worried about with oxygen sensors is, are there any exhaust leaks? There was a very tiny exhaust leak between the new catalytic converter that had been replaced and the pipe that it was attached to. Shot a little propane into that. Sensor woke up a little bit, but not like it was supposed to. Again, a tenth, maybe maybe two-tenths of a volt, not much more than that. Okay, sensor's bad. That's it. Take it out. Took it out. Put another one in. Wired it up the same way. Shot some propane in the exhaust leak, and I kind of knew what was going on here. 
shot some propane in the exhaust leak, and the sensor pinned itself at nine-tenths of a volt. Got out a scan tool as my next step, hooked it up, and unfortunately, and you'll see it in the video, the part where Danny forgot to open the gas valve again. So you'll see us press the button, nothing happens, and I say, did you open the gas valve? And he goes, uh, so, so much for letting Danny come on camera with me. But in any event, um, as much as I love Danny, um, in any event, once we opened the gas valve, the propane flowed, the sensor shot up, it did what it's supposed to do, and it was working. So that simple test proved that not only was the sensor circuit good, the computer was capable of seeing it, and the problem that caused all of this was the exhaust leak. So now the question becomes, where'd the exhaust leak come from? The problem with this car originally started with a P0420. And the bottom line is, you always have to look back at the beginning. Where did the fault occur? When they did the catalytic converter, from what I can see, they didn't change the downstream cat flange gasket. They reused it because the one I took out was all carboned up and black and beat up. Put a fresh gasket in, used a little bit of exhaust cement because the flange itself is weathered and, and, and rusted away, but still very sealable, but I wanted to be as sure as I could. And the problem is solved. That car is down the road with an O2 sensor, an exhaust gasket, no PCM, cleared the codes, ran the monitors, and a very happy customer because, well, we took the time to diagnose, which is what you're supposed to do. We got paid to do Look, it. Man, I ain't falling for no banana in my tailpipe. That's right. Um, and I knew that was coming, so thank you, Tom. Tom and Tony. Tom and Tony, I'm here alone with Tom and Tony today. No Harry to distract them. But the bottom line comes back to that when you're diagnosing something, you need to look very carefully and break it down step by step. And even though you've got a bulletin in your hand, sometimes things aren't what they appear to be in that they are, gee, it needs a PCM. I'm not buying it until I test it. I'm not falling for a banana in the tailpipe until I know there's a banana in the tailpipe. 855-560-9900. Keep in mind, you can get out to Facebook or YouTube and see that video and watch just exactly what we did and how we did it. And um, you can maybe get an education for yourself and understand a little bit more about oxygen sensors. I'm Ron Anini in the car, Doctor. I'll be back to answer your questions right after this. the car doctor cruising along this hour and next up we'll do this a little bit faster this hour is going to be rodney from springfield illinois rodney is our facebook t-shirt winner this hour and we're glad to have him here with us rodney thanks for liking the car doctor facebook page we appreciate it how can i uh, help you with your question regarding your toyota uh questions toyota four-wheel drives well i'm thinking about buying a used toyota and uh, i was just wondering where the trouble spots uh, that I should pay attention to when buying one. Well, I, you know, Toyota's a pretty good vehicle, Rodney, but like anything else, it's all going to come down to maintenance. How well was it maintained? And, you know, the biggest factor I always think about when I'm buying a used vehicle, like anything, is I don't look at it just on top. I don't look at it just under the hood. I want to get underneath the vehicle, especially something like this, a truck, a four-wheel drive that might have been off-roaded, that might have been in a harsh environment. How's it holding up rust-wise? What does the bottom half of the vehicle look? Because to me, that's that's the part I'm most concerned about. Paint doesn't matter to me per se. It's got to look nice, but 
I'm more concerned about the mechanical things, and you can only do that by a visual. So whatever you go to look at, if you're buying it from a dealer, do you know? Are you going to look at dealer? Are you going to look at private party? Do you have any idea? I'm, I'm thinking about buying it from a dealer. Okay, and 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 you know there are some advantages to buying it from a dealer. Uh, you'll pay a little bit more, but if they're doing their job properly and you've asked the right questions and due diligence, they they will. You know, you'll pay a little bit more. You'll tend to get a little bit of a better vehicle in in a lot of cases. Uh, you know, as long as you get what they say in writing. You know, if they say it's got a lifetime warranty or free oil changes or free lifetime tire rotations, get it in writing. Whatever the whatever okay. the value is they're giving you, and that's any business deal. But it's it's and it's it seems silly of me to have to mention it, but a lot of people just don't seem to realize that in this day and age, you still got to do things in writing. Honor and reliability and responsibility has gone out the window, as we all know. So you know that would be my first thing. What does the undercarriage look like? As a rule, I would be also concerned about the maintenance. As far as, you know, was it done by the book? Uh, you know, I see some questions that send shivers up my spine every week about, can I change my oil at 15,000 miles? And nobody has a reason as to why they want to. So I would look at the oil change intervals. I would also be mindful of how clean is the oil. What does the dipstick look like as far as varnish deposits on it? And my concern is I have seen some issues with Toyotas as they age in the Ninety to 100,000-mile mark, sometimes a little sooner with regards to oil consumption. So, you know, that's still an issue, although the Tacomas are pretty good. Um, they don't have it as bad as some of the uh, some of the cars, the Corollas and the Camrys. Uh, be, be mindful of the frame. Some of the Tacomas were subject to frame issues and rust issues, and, you know, that's a concern, obviously. And some of them are under... Well, I think it's recall would be a gentler word, or TSB. There's bulletins out about it from Toyota, where Toyota will help with the repair if you have that condition. So just be mindful of that. Okay. All right. You know, bottom line, it really comes down to if you're buying it from a dealer, if you don't know the dealer but you like the vehicle, do you have a private mechanic that you use? No, sir, I don't. I am my private mechanic. Okay. Then you've got to get it up in the air, and you've got to get underneath it. All right. You know, and you don't, you know, as much as letting the dealer sign off on it is is okay, but that's like, you know, they've got a vested interest in telling you what a great vehicle it is. Okay. You you want to get a you want to get a third party to come out there or, or yourself just something that you can look at and test and, you know, be mindful of. It. Okay, well, I don't mind getting up underneath them. It takes me a little bit longer than what it used to, but right. I don't mind looking uh, around underneath them. Right. So, oh, listen, I'll tell you what, Rodney, stay on the line. Let Tom Ray get your information. We appreciate appreciate you liking us out on Facebook and being a loyal listener all these years. We're going to send you out a Car Doctor t-shirt, and that's our way of saying thanks and uh, welcome to the Car Doctor Nation. Tom, take good care of Rodney for me and uh, get him out there, get all his information and uh, what size t-shirt. Thanks, Rodney. Let's get over to Kevin in Iowa, 99 Nissan Frontier. Kevin, how can I help you? Ron and Annie in the Car Doctor at your service. Hi. Um, I had a uh, code go into the uh, 99 Nissan, and so we read that. And it had two codes on it. One was the uh, knock sensor. Right, P0325. One, what's that? I say a P0325. Yes. Yeah, very common. It was. Yep. Um, 
we changed that sensor, and there was a, a second code, and I, I did not get the code, but it, it said something to the effect of a speed circuit or a speed sensor. Um, anyway, we zeroed out the codes right. after we changed the knock sensor, and I did that just to see if anything else would come back. Okay. And there are no codes coming back at all, but yet um, when I am going down the road or uh, I could be under a little bit of a load and get the transmission or uh, spark or something just will kind of drop out. And if you let up on the gas, everything is fine, and then you can ease back into it, and it may happen again or it may not. Uh, it may not happen for another five miles and then do it again. So, so so would you describe it as cutting out? I would. Um, like uh, loss of spark or loss of fuel. And I thought, my first thought was, okay, maybe it's losing fuel. And uh, so I went and bought a fuel filter. Okay. And I installed a fuel filter on it. Um, it still does it. And you can be stopped, and this is an automatic transmission. Um, you could be stopped and, and just uh, step down on the, on the gas and, and just kind of get re- really into it. And it'll shift, you know, one, two, three, just fine all the way up. 60 mile an hour and be just fine and then you back back off it and be putting along and all of a sudden it'll do it again do you okay let me let me let me let me ask you this this question kevin um when this happens well you did you did you do anything with the distributor to do the knock sensor it's down under the intake plenum on this now or is this a four Um, is this a four cylinder the knock sensor we we did a um, relocation of the knock sensor Okay. And which is up on top and then reset it and that code never did come back. Okay, let me now, ask let me ask here, you this. Is can you can you duplicate this sitting there if you let the vehicle run long enough? No. If it's right. sitting idle, no. All right. It'll sit there and run and run and run. Do you own now, a t- do you own a timing light, Kevin? Yes. Okay. Take the timing light, hook it up. Take the car for a ride. When the problem happens, pull the trigger on the timing light. Pull the trigger prior. Is the timing light blinking normal? When the problem happens, does the timing light start to break up? If it does, let's start taking a look at the distributor. Send me an email, and we'll talk about it in detail. I'm on an Indian the Car Doctor. We're back right after this. Welcome back. Ron and Indian, the car doctor, rolling along this hour at 855-560-9900 to answer your questions. Keep in mind that is 24-7, that phone number, 855-560-9900. And you can call, leave a message if we're not on the air. This radio show is live Saturday afternoons, 2 to 4 p.m. Eastern time. But you can call 855-560-9900. Leave a message. Fast Harry, our executive producer, will call you back and line you up in the lineup, in the queue, for the following week when we're live out on the air. 
and uh, we can talk to you, and everybody else can get an education, and that's what this radio show is all about. I say it all the time. Speaking of education and trying to help people, let's go over and see what we can do for David in Modesto, California, in a 96 Jeep. David, welcome to the car doctor, hey. sir. How are you? Hey, Ron. How you doing? Good. Good. What's going on? Well, uh, first of all, big fan of your show. I'm first-time caller, and I uh, guess the winner of one of your T-shirts from the Facebook. Oh, you're page. the you're you're the, you're my missing guy from last week. It's okay. Now I know this is David from uh, Facebook. David liked us out on the Facebook page, asked a question, and I guess we surprised him last week. We actually used your question. How about that? Who to thunk? Um, we'll, yeah, right. We'll that. Um, Did we get your information, David, as far as your address and T-shirt size and all that? I believe I emailed it back to you there. Okay, I'll look for it. You know what? Email it to me again just to make sure. you got to figure out how many emails. I, I can't figure out how many emails I get in a week. If I could just ask you to resend it to ron at cardoctorshow.com, and um, I'll make sure we get that out in this week's pile as we send T-shirts Most out every week. Will. All right, sir. So what can I do for you today? Okay, so uh, 96 Jeep Cherokee, inline six. Um, it started popping a 0420 code with the uh, check engine light on. Right. Um I uh, decided to check the oxygen sensors. It's got two, one upstream, one downstream. Right. And I figured that if the upstream had, you know, varied signal coming out and the downstream was pretty much flatlined, that the cat was okay. But it was the readings were kind of in between. The, the front O2 varied up and down like I thought it should. The downstream wasn't flatline but it wasn't totally following the upstream either so does that mean a dead cat no that means no no when you say flatline david what are you what are you saying are you saying kind of, it's kind of just holding steady uh at what you know, volt not, not at, big variances at what voltage oh shoot i don't remember exactly what it was but high it or would, low it would kind of yeah it would kind of hold steady then it would jump up and kind of follow the upstream Okay. And then it would kind of stay steady, and then it would jump again. If it if it follows if if the upstream and downstream sensors mirror each other, and this is after the engine's warmed up and you know it's up to temperature and it's been driven for five six eight minutes, if they mirror each other, then that's a dead cat. The idea of what a cat does is a catalytic converter stores oxygen. All right, so okay. the oxygen sensor. Reads oxygen. That's hence the name. And it, a catalytic converter that stores oxygen properly will cause that oxygen sensor to read a higher voltage. So you'll typically see it if, if, if the sensor is between zero and one volt, which most of the older Jeeps downstream sensors would, would run in that parameter, you will typically see that voltage six tenths to a volt after the cat if you're seeing one tenth to two tenths of a volt and it never goes above that or it's until it starts to mirror the upstream cat and then it, it'll swing all the way up to nine tenths then that's a bad mm -hmm. cat now now keep in mind that sensor that downstream sensor has to be able to switch and reach its midpoint and pass that midpoint high and low over a set time period in order to not set a fault code so that being said, you know, you almost you almost want to go out to Facebook again. Look at the video I just put up on YouTube about the Toyota with the downstream oxygen sensor and how I tested it. And I talk okay. and I talk about uh, you know where the voltage is and why the voltage is there and you know it's it's quick within the confines of YouTube. It's not a classroom environment, but it's the idea that 
if you artificially were to enrich that intake, a little propane, or if you pump the gas three or four times real quick, a couple of bursts out of the engine, that'll tend to run it a little fat, and you'll see that O2 sensor climb. Now that's the downstream would climb. That's, that, well, they're they're both going to climb. They're both going to change, but um, we're we're our focus is the downstream. The downstream we want to look and see how different is it than the upstream. All right. Okay. So you know that being said, you know we want to look and see where that goes. If if the upstream is switching high to low, high to low, and it's it's got yeah. the right frequency, length of time, and how high and low it goes, that's good. We want to look at the downstream. Does it hold high except for when they run it through its test, they run the monitor, does it do what it's supposed to do? That sensor's good. Uh, we can start to think about the cat. It's easy to think cat, but then we also want to look at other things. We want to consider, do we have an engine coolant temperature? Is that at the proper and number? That actually brings me to a second part of my question. Go ahead. You had mentioned it uh, on last weekend's show when you read my question, that, you know, is your thermostat um, failed? Well, actually, a couple of weeks ago, you know, with upcoming spring and it getting warm out here in California, I did a coolant flush on the Jeep, took out the thermostat and kind of just flushed it out with a garden hose kind of technique, refilled it with distilled water and some coolant. And ever since then, it's been running. The Jeep runs when I'm driving at about 155, 160 degrees, and it's got a 195 degree thermostat in it. Now, if I sit and idle for a while, it'll get up to 195 until I start driving again. Now, this P0420 comes up a couple weeks later, and I'm wondering if they're related, and why is my temperature staying so low now? <laughs> yeah, let's. well, I'll tell you what. Let's fix the temperature problem first before we worry about the cat fault, because one, sure. may, one may fix the other. Let me ask you this, and you can tell me who it was. Whose brand of thermostat is it? Uh, I believe it's a stand. I got it down in Napa. Okay. I would verify that with them. And then my second question is, are you sure it's installed right, that it's not bypassing? That it, didn't, know, that it didn't... You know how I do the Jeeps? When I do the Jeep stats, uh-huh. I I actually glue the stat into the, into the head. I'll actually okay. put the stat into the head. I take a little RTV, all right? And I put the RTV on the gasket, and then I put that to the head, and then I RTV the housing, and then I slip the housing over the stat because you have to get it between the stat and the serpentine belt that it's rubbing against. Yes. Right. Now, the other trick I'll do is I'll make sure the two holes to mount the thermostat housing Mm -hmm. are absolutely free and clear, and I will put a drop of oil on the beginning of the threads and then a little liquid Teflon. And that bottom bolt that's so hard to get, I'll actually reverse wind a piece of electrical tape, and I'll 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 glue it in place with the RTV. Then I'll take a hook tool or my finger and I'll hold the top of the bolt gently, and then I'll pull on the tape, and it actually will start the threads of the bolt in like I'm pulling a recoil starter on a lawnmower. Oh wow, yeah, good trick. All right. Okay. And, you know, obviously the top one you can do the same way if you want the practice, but the top one's easier to get. The bottom one's the tough one because the belt's in the way. But I would right. I okay. would focus I would focus on the the temperature problem first. I'd be very surprised if that's a stant uh thermostat. I really would. I, I haven't okay. seen one I haven't seen one out of the box bed and I can't tell you how long. So Well I don't the the thermostat itself I did not change. I probably should have, but I just decided to do a coolant flush in the driveway one day, 
and I the thermostat was working fine. I put the same one back in. I know I shouldn't have, but I did. Well, so. you can, you can depending upon how old it is. How old is the thermostat? Good question. Oh, okay. <laughs> I've had the Jeep a long time. I don't remember changing it for quite some time. All right, years. Then then I'll tell you what. I'll I'll save you the lecture. Get out to stamp dot com, and you can <laughs> yep. read all about their thermostats and 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 you know they'll they'll talk about because you know it's a thermostat on an older vehicle like that. Every three years, throw the old one out, put a new one in. So let's do that. Let's yeah. get let's get the thermostat working. Let's get some heat in the truck, and we'll we'll go from there. Just make sure you've got you know. Well, you can't really have hoses hooked up wrong. Um, one thing you could have disturbed was the coolant temp sensor, which is right there in the housing too, right? Mm-hmm. So make sure that's not damaged and you've got it plugged in. Obviously, it's plugged in right, but. Um, those are the things we want to look at. Do those things for me, David. You know where to find me, Ron at CarDoctorShow.com, and then we'll talk a little bit more after that. All right, buddy? All right. Sounds All right. great. And Thank you, you, Ron. you send me that email, and I'll get you I'll get you your T-shirt out to you. And uh, thanks for being from Modesto, the home of American Graffiti. You guys didn't think I knew that. So I'm Ron Anini and the Car Doctor, 855-560-9900. I'll be back right after this. Welcome back. Ron and Nanny and the Car Doctor. The phone number is 855-560-9900. As always, the Car Doctor 24-7 number to talk to you about your car problem. Call, leave a message if we're not on the air, and we will be glad to find you and talk to you the following week when we broadcast live Saturday afternoons, 2 to 4 p.m. Eastern Time. If you want more information about us, cardoctorshow.com. You'll find links to the various places that also contain information about us. Tune in, iHeart, iTunes, all there. Um, you'll be able to find that. We podcast from those, plus cardoctorshow.com has podcasts of this radio show. So we're making it easy so you can take us with you wherever you want to go because we're really just trying to help you solve your car problem. Solving car problems is what we're about. Let's go over and talk to Robert up there in Union, Maine, I believe that is, with an 06 Chevy Impala and a stalling problem. Robert, welcome to the car doctor, sir. How can I help? Well, thank you, sir. Um, we It's actually my son's car. And it's a 2006 Impala, and when I put it in gear, it immediately stalls. Okay. Hot, cold, does it matter? It doesn't matter. Uh, When it first started doing this, it would be um, a little bit better if it warmed up. You could get it in gear and you could go. Right. On the highway, it seemed to be fine. Um, But when you came to a stoplight or you want to take off again, you know, lots of times it would you know, stall again. Okay. And has it, it's gotten worse now to the point that it does it all the time? Yeah, it's to the point now where he can't even get it out of the driveway. Wow. And, you know, I've I've changed some things on it. Like what? Well, I changed the temperature block sensor. I tried a new gas cap. I thought it may have something to do with that. I changed the mass airflow sensor and the throttle body control. I changed the transmission fluid when, like when, four when, different times. Robert, when you say you changed the throttle body control, you mean the throttle body itself or the controller? The controller. Okay. Let me let me ask you this. Any check engine light on? Well, you can't keep it yep. running long enough to know. 
Well, it uh, it idles wonderful. It'll it'll idle and purrs like a kitten. Okay. Uh, as soon as you put it in gear, it dies. Uh, the check engine light is on, and the only code that comes up uh, is a P zero four five five, and I think it said it was an evap evap right. leak. That's evaporative emissions. Yeah. So let me ask you this: um, Are are you looking at the codes, or is your mechanic doing it? Uh, both. Okay. Do you have the ability to read fuel trim on your scan tool? No, I don't. Okay. You know, I would just be curious. P0455 is a large EVAP leak. It shouldn't be able to affect it, but I don't want to say I don't want to say never unless I'm absolutely there to look at a couple of things, but mm. I'm just I'm just thinking about a large vacuum leak that would be affecting and causing a stalling condition like that. It's not likely. Uh, typically, we make a vacuum leak on a newer engine like that, and it actually raises the idle, and it, it just skews fuel trim and sends yep. idle speed higher, but just just being to the cautious side. Where I would look, has anybody looked at, cleaned, replaced, considered the throttle body? We Well, we didn't do that. Um, that was one of the things we was was thinking about trying next, but I... I didn't really know for sure putting the expenses of the car. Uh, it's got 175,000 miles on it. Right. And uh, I wasn't sure if that could be the problem where it seemed to idle so well. Right. Uh, well, let's 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 do this. Uh, and you can call me next week for more information. But this week, clean the throttle body. Make sure it's spotless because what will happen is when they're cold, they build up carbon. When they're cold, it sticks. And then when it warms up, if it gets bad enough, it won't open properly, and it'll cause the car to stall. That's number one. In some cases, okay. the throttle body has to be replaced because it's that bad. Okay. All right? So, but clean the throttle body. That's number one. Number two, there is a reflash available for this with particular fault codes P0121 and 2119, which is all about stalling issues with these cars. So you may have to get this computer flashed to the latest software. But first things first, let's take a look at the throttle body, see what that looks like, clean it. If you need me, either call next week or Ron at cardoctorshow.com, and I'll do what I can for you. 855-560-9900. Ron and Annie and the Car Doctor, back to wind it down right after this. Welcome back. We're on the name the car doctor. 855-560-9900. We're not going to take any more calls this hour, but just to let you know the phone number if you want to use it next week or you want to leave a message. Um, ultimately, we still get phone calls, oh, probably about 45 minutes an hour after we're off the air, but 855-560-9900. You can call, leave a message, and uh, you'll give Fast Harry something to do when he gets back from vacation since he's so fresh and ready to go. We want to try and wear him out a little bit. And um, everybody that calls this week, make sure make sure not to ask him about the Kentucky vacation, because I'm sure it's a long story and you probably don't want to hear it. Anyway, quick piece of email. Hey, Ron, I'm trying to find the right car battery for my 06 Toyota Corolla, and I'm wondering what your thoughts are and the best place to start to look up and figure out what that is. I really have some issues with putting smaller batteries in the vehicle. I'd like to put the right size, and I want as much battery as I can possibly get. This is from Sue in New Jersey. Sue, you know, 
batteries are simple and complicated today. They really are. But there's still a couple of basic rules that you want to go to. You talk about capacity. You want to choose the right capacity. Because batteries have varying capacities and varying qualities. And you'll usually see it in the price of a battery. And the thing that stuns me the most is people will always be concerned about the price of the battery. I want to get the cheapest battery I can. I'm trying to save money. But yet they go outside 2 o'clock in the morning, they're working late or they're, they're out late, or, and it's in all kinds of weather and snow and rain and et cetera, and they want to count on that cheap battery to start the car. makes absolutely no sense. Spend as much money as you can afford on the battery. To look up the capacity, you want to look at group size, which is pretty simple. Cataloging will tell you that. If you look up cataloging online, you can go out to O'ReillyAuto.com, for example, O'Reilly Auto Parts. O'ReillyAuto.com, they'll have catalogs there. You can look up batteries. Take a look. You're looking for PowerFrame grid technology. You can read more about that at PowerFrame.com, and that'll give you an education on batteries. Till next week, I'm Ron Anini in the car, Doctor. The mechanics aren't expensive. They're priceless. Everyone.